I'm Sarah Witten. Uh, my husband and I get the privilege of leading the youth here at Impact. Um, and today, what we're going to be talking about, if you want to flip there, I'll be there in a minute, is Mark 6, 45 through 52. So a couple months ago, um, I was trying to switch up my God time in the morning and, and like ease up my control just a little bit. Um, I tend to be like a, you know, I got my Bible reading plan. I've got all my things laid out. And so I'm like, all right, here are all my boxes. God, come meet me in them and say what you want to say. And so God had kind of challenged me, all right, loosen up the reins a little bit. And um, I would meet with him in the morning and just say, all right, God, what do you want to do this morning? What do you want to say? Um, what do you want to, do you want to listen to worship music? Do you want to read the word? What should I read? And so it was, it was kind of a stretch for me. And one of the times that I did that, um, God said, Mark 6. So I said, huh, okay, I wonder what's in that chapter. So I flip it open, and I'm reading, and you know, Jesus is teaching on some wisdom, and then um, John the Baptist gets beheaded, and then there's uh, the walking on water and the feeding of the five, or Jesus walking on water and the feeding of the 5,000 and, you know, some of these great things. And so I'm, I'm taking notes, and God's dropping these little nuggets. I'm like, oh, that's great. So a couple weeks later, I'm like, all right, Lord, you know, where do you want me in your word today? He said, Mark 6. And I said, oh, that's great. I wonder what's in that chapter. So I flip it open, and I start reading, and I'm like, okay, this sounds a little familiar. And a couple weeks later... I'm like, all right, Lord, what should we do this morning? He's like, I want you to read Mark 6. I said, oh, that's great. I wonder what's in that chapter. And like, if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, it was like my Dory moment. And God loves all of his children, but I'm the child that like asks him the same question every five minutes because I've forgotten the answer. And so whenever my kids do that, God's like, hey, that's you too. But here, the, this same passage was again, Mark 6. So I'm reading it. And then uh, Pastor David calls and he said, you know, I feel like, Maybe you have a word. And I said, okay, I'll pray you into it. And I'm thinking, you know, it's Christmas time. Maybe it'll be like a, a message that's tied to that. And God said, I want you to speak on Mark 6. And I said, oh, that's great. I wonder what's in that chapter. And so I flip it open, and I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is what you have been sowing into this whole time. And so um, God made it really clear that this is what he wanted to speak on today, and you're about to find out why. So Mark 6, verses 45 through 52 specifically, say, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, where he sent the people home, or while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Ironically, after I just told you how I got the passage that I'm going to preach on, God wanted me to speak on memory and how our mindset so affects how we come up against things. And so because of that, I'm going to give a little context 
things that I didn't know. You guys probably know this already, but bear with me because I'm just going to be preaching for myself, to myself for the next like 30 minutes. So I appreciate you hanging out while I do that. Um, so before this scripture ever happened in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, um, Jesus had had a similar situation with the disciples, may have even been the same boat, we don't know, but Jesus was sleeping in the same context. I'm going to read that passage really quick. So Mark 4, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So this storm sounds a little bit more intense. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Okay, so that had already happened. Another thing that had happened earlier in that chapter is Jesus had already commissioned them, okay? So they weren't in this phase of like they're still shadowing Jesus. Like we all are constantly learning and growing in our walk, but um, he had specifically commissioned them and sent them out two by two and had said specifically that he was giving them authority to cast out all evil spirits, okay? So he had given them this authority that they saw him operating in already earlier, just in the same chapter. The other thing that had happened, which is kind of different from the rest of the things that are in this chapter, was John the Baptist gets beheaded, okay? And nowadays in our culture, we don't have many friends that get beheaded, and so that's kind of a strange thing for us to think about. But what God kind of put on my heart is like our equivalent of this is like when we are walking in our calling and we're getting excited about what God's doing in our life and you know then we hear about somebody else in the faith who had something come against them maybe a diagnosis maybe their kid messed up maybe you know whatever it is something comes against them and then there's that little voice of oh what if that happens to you too you know, and you know that the disciples had to have heard about what happened to John the Baptist because him and Jesus were very close, obviously, cousins. And so um, for them, I wonder if that was a little seed of fear of, oh, well, he was really close to Jesus and that still happened to him. You know, what's going to happen to us? We're preaching the same thing. We don't know how they felt, but it's interesting that that's in there. The next thing, the thing that happens right before they all get in the boat, is the feeding of the 5,000. And we're familiar with that story for the most part. And Jesus, so they feed the 5,000, and then Jesus leaves to withdraw to kind of go pray, to get his, his time with the Father um, before they're going to the next place. But he gives them their assignment. And, you know, I think... For most of us, if we had Jesus say, okay, here's where I want you to go next, or here's what I want you to do next, you'd be like, wow, that's amazing clarity. How could they not, you know, remember that? But he literally gives them from Jesus a calling, all right, I want you to go across, get in the boat. And we know after that, it took longer than expected, because there they were all night, rowing across this little Sea of Galilee, it got dark, and it got stormy. 
And who has ever had that moment where you've gotten a word or gotten a calling and you start and then it takes longer than expected or it gets dark and you can't see the path anymore or it gets stormy and all these winds and waves start kicking up, these circumstances start coming against you. You know, I've been there. It says that Jesus saw this happen, but then about three in the morning, so I'm wondering how long they were out there, but you know, it, it was a while that Jesus was like, okay, I see that this is happening. And then he starts walking, but it says he intended to go past them, which I always think is so interesting. Why would he intend to go past them? Because we know from God's heart that he doesn't look at the people he loves in trouble and say, meh, I'm just ignoring that. I'm going on to people who need me more. Something about his goodness and his heart and what he did says that he saw them and he saw the wind and the waves. He knew what his father could do. He knew that they had authority and said, okay, I'm just going to keep on going. But what brought him over to the boat was when he saw that they were struggling with that fear because they were trying to struggle, it says, against the wind and the waves. Um, you know, how many of us, when something crops up, it's like instead of thinking of, wait, what, what, did, what did Jesus say to do? What did God? It's like we struggle. We still have the oars and we're struggling against that problem. When... He's coming towards them. They see him, and they're afraid. They're afraid in both times. They're afraid when Jesus is in the boat. They're afraid when Jesus isn't in the boat, and I can so relate to that. But they're afraid, and I think it's so funny that they think it's a ghost. When we think of ghosts, we think of something that is, you know, dead, not real, just like a thing of fear, when in reality, it was Jesus coming to save them. And how many times are we in our own boats, and we're rowing and we're struggling, and then this thing comes to us, whether it is in the form of, of a leap of faith or um, an opportunity or, or something, and that very thing that God sent to remind us of his goodness is the thing that we look at and say, ah! And we're scared. And we're scared of it. Instead of seeing God moving and seeing what he's doing, we see our ghosts, be it like our fears, our past things that have happened to us that maybe are coming back into our mind, into our memory. But we see our ghosts instead of seeing God moving. But Jesus, he was focused. He was fixed on the assignment that was going to be across the sea, their next stop. But when he sees them afraid and he sees them struggling, he does three things. I believe these are the same three things that God does for us in our struggles. First thing he does is he speaks. He gives them a word. And his word is, don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here. And that is like the most tender, like fatherly, like, don't be afraid, it's okay, I'm here. You know, when our kids get scared in the middle of the night and we go in there, we're like, it's okay, I'm here. 
It's like that kind of comfort. And oftentimes God will send his comfort in the form of a word first. Nothing's happened yet. The wind's still blowing. He hasn't gotten in the boat. He just speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. It's okay. And maybe we're sitting in our own boats, in our own storms, and we're reading God's word and we're saying, okay, God, I know you're saying it's okay, don't be afraid, but I'm still seeing what's going on around me and I'm still really afraid. But he says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. He stopped for them because of their fear. And my guess is it was because that fear and that struggling was actually the threat against them more than the wind and the waves. It was where their mind was. The second thing Jesus does is he steps in the boat and he changes what's happening around them. Okay? These are the moments that we never miss. This is when our circumstances change. This is when the breakthrough happens. This is when a miracle happens. We see these ways that God steps in the boat, and we see when things change. We're like, oh, thank God. You know, it's the thing that alleviates that temporary circumstance that we're like, all right, whew, we're good again. We don't miss it, but we do sometimes miss the opportunity to believe before it happens, to believe right when God says, don't be afraid, I'm here. Or to recognize what's happening in our circumstances when those circumstances subside as God speaking and acting and moving in our life instead of us, you know, continually struggling and praying and then all of a sudden something happens and that circumstance is taken care of and you're like, oh, well, never mind, God. Uh, This other thing took care of it. I got a surprise check or, you know, I, I got this new medicine. It's fine. And God's like, hey, you know who orchestrated that? So sometimes we do miss those opportunities to recognize that it's God stepping in the boat. The third thing, though, and probably the most important thing that this whole message is centered around, is he changes what happens within them. Okay? So it says at the end that their hearts were hard. And a couple months ago, you know, I was thinking about this, this phrase about hard-heartedness and our hearts being hard and, and what that means. Because I'd always thought of it as like when you have a hard-hearted person, they're just really um, kind of turned inward and, and locked down and just they, they don't give a lot. Like not a lot comes out of them, right? And we're supposed to be conduits of heaven. Things are supposed to be able to freely flow, which is why we need soft hearts. But God showed me that it actually goes both ways. So yes, when you're hard-hearted, Stuff can't flow out of you from heaven. But also, when we're hard-hearted, we can't receive and let in all that he wants us to let in. And sometimes that's a belief. Sometimes that's a hope. Sometimes that's an idea. Sometimes that's an opportunity. Sometimes that's a, for me, letting go of the way I wanted to do things and my struggling against the wind and saying, okay, let me remember what you want me to do. But until we let go of those things and let our hearts be softened, then we're not remembering. It says that last line that they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Right before this, they had fed the 5,000. They had seen that miracle. But because they didn't understand the significance, their hearts were too hard to take it in. 
What's interesting with that is that them not remembering resulted in hard hearts, which I feel like means that our memories are just as much in our head as they are in our heart. What we remember and what we have in mind has to do with the condition of our heart. Now, before we did youth, um, back when Mason was really, really, really small, um, I did counseling, and that was, that was what I went to school for. And in the natural, there's this condition um, that's very real that people suffer from that's called PTSD, that probably a lot of people have heard of. It's post-traumatic stress disorder. And what happens in this is memories don't work the way they're supposed to. Instead of being consolidated as this thing in the past that is done, a trigger will happen, and then all of a sudden, even though that thing is past, that trauma, whatever, that fear is past, in that moment, they're experientially feeling and experiencing life as if it's happening again right then. Sometimes, when we are in our boat and we get hit by the storm, we have a round, we get triggered, and we have a round of a spiritual PTSD. And we think about, instead of, you know, okay, what's happening now? What does God want me to remember? We think about, okay, you know, when have I been let down in the past? Or what happened to this other person? Or, you know, what, what things do I have to be afraid of? How can I rely on my own strength to get out of this? And we get so stuck in that mode of putting out fires that it's like we're trapped in this cycle, and we can't remember what God said. And the Lord wants to tell somebody here today that he wants to trade that PTSD for a PMJD, a post-miraculous joy disorder. <laughs> right? So that when you're in that situation and that trigger happens, it triggers the memory of a miracle instead. Oh, hey, the wind's kicking up. Hey, remember that time that Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves? All right, miracle's coming. I'm excited. Hey, remember that all these things that God did for these other people that we know? Hey, remember, you know, whenever those triggers, whenever those, those things come up that make us afraid, that they're meant actually to be triggers for joy and triggers for our memory of the miraculous and triggers of those testimonies that say, do it again, God. You've done it once, do it again. I know for me, in my boat, when the winds kick up and I'm struggling and I'm trying to do it myself, um, it's usually from a place of wanting to control and wanting to protect myself. Oh, I just, I want to, I want to make sure that, that my kids stay alive. I want to make sure that I'm okay. I want to make sure, because I, I know God, I know you're good. I know you're going to come through. But just in case, I want to be doing everything that I can do. I want to just try so hard, because if I just try so hard, then you'll see me, and you'll come through for me. And what God showed me is that when we're doing that, and we're defending ourselves, defense mechanisms they're, they're made to keep you alive, right? But actually, when we're defending ourself and our flesh and that thing that's afraid, that unless we lose our life and drop those defenses and surrender, 
that we stay in that place. Unless we lose, we la- unless we lose our life, we can't gain that peace and that life that God has for us. And it says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, and this isn't us dying, this is our need to control, this is our need to protect ourselves, this is our need to control, to do it all ourselves, unless that falls to the ground and dies, it remains one seed. But if we let go and let it die, can be multiplied up to a hundredfold. So what that means is when you drop your need to do it yourself and to defend yourself and to just struggle against the wind, that your defense actually multiplies a hundred times. It's all about what we focus on. The difference between Jesus being able to sleep in Mark 4 and the disciples freaking out in Mark 6 was not their authority was not their circumstance, was not their location. It was their focus. So recently, um, we were reading before bed, and, um, you know, we kind of each had our books on the couch, and Mason was reading next to me. And he was reading this fact book, and he said, Hey, Mom, did you know that memories are made while we're sleeping? And I was like, Huh, no, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Well, next morning I wake up, and I'm, I have my God time, I'm reading my email, and I get this email that has kind of like some headlines for the day. And ironically enough, it says, uh, the tie between memory and sleep. So I was like, okay, God, you have my attention. So I click on it, and I'm reading. And what's fascinating is there's this thing called the forgetting curve. Like we forget really, really quickly, but if we can make it past rest, if we can make it past sleep, we're more likely to remember it long term. It's an interesting picture with Jesus sleeping in the boat. It's like he knew what God had done. He rested on it. And it's like it ingrained it in him. So often we live like the disciples instead, though, where we're putting out fires. We're going from, okay, this situation needs my attention, then this situation, and then this situation. And then, yes, God comes through for all of them. But we're so tired because we never stop and rest. And when we never stop and rest, we don't get that memory ingrained of, oh yeah, I remember last time God took care of this. Oh yeah, I remember God did that before he can do it again. We often don't remember because we don't learn how to rest. I think it's funny that the people who were in the boat, those disciples, Jesus had very lovingly and kind of um, behind the scenes been teaching them that, hey, you think that you can do this by your own effort or that, you know, maybe your ideas are better, but actually, God's got it. Like, he had a doctor, and he's like, oh, that's great. God can heal too. He had, um, you know, religious experts of the time. He had all different people that he spoke to and walked with and worked with and said, oh, you're a fisherman? God knows how to do that. Hey, throw your nuts on the other side. You know, this, these sweet, sweet, not above you, but eye-to-eye reminders of, hey, I got this. Whatever job you think you can do, I know how to do it, and I probably know how to do it better. So give it to me. But what's common in this world is to take our calling, take that directive from Jesus of, hey, go to the other side, and shelf it. 
and say, hey, I've got a problem right here, and we think our calling has a longer shelf life than what we're dealing with, when really God had anointed us for that thing in the moment. We put that directive and that calling on the shelf, and we say, okay, God, you understand. Like, look at what I'm dealing with here. I can't, I can't go do that. I can't go be this for you. I've got to figure this out first. And then once this is done, then I can go back to the shelf and say, all right, God, now what are we, what are we going to do? Everything's good now, so I can, you know, be a vessel for you because I'm not dealing with that. But what does the world do? Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. It's almost as if he's saying, If you go and do what I've just told you to do, don't worry about the window waves. You could put that on a shelf, that shelf being God's hands. Just put it in my hands. Hey, this problem that I'm dealing with that I feel like I desperately have to fix or figure out, I'm going to put it in your hands, and I'm going to chase after what you just told me. And I'm going to know that God knows what I need and that he's taking care of everything. There's so much rest in that. Because as I was reading this over and over and over and over again so that I would remember it, thanks God, um, Jesus, what I realized about him is, you know, the word tells us he is fully man and fully God. And we know that because of the cross that he could die. He died and he was resurrected. And so him walking across the water and, and braving the waves and braving the winds, it wasn't because Nothing could hurt him, or he was invincible, or he was never going to die. It was because he was focused on that God was calling him somewhere else. And if God was calling him to this other place, he knew that that didn't matter. He had put that in God's hands, and he was saying, I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. That kind of joy and that kind of peace, which we see a lot of in this season, you know, Christmas is such a time of joy and such a time of peace, but that's not common to the world. That doesn't exist in the world. But that's what we're supposed to bring, is uncommon joy, uncommon peace. You know, I was reading this, and I was kind of getting discouraged because I was like, man, you know, I've failed in this. I've struggled in my boat so many times. The disciples, they kind of failed in it. In the synoptic account in, in Matthew 14, they have Peter getting out, and then he looks at the waves, and he sinks. And so it's like, you know, Peter's failing, disciples failing, I'm failing, I was feeling a little discouraged. And God reminded me that the redemption is that some kind of breakthrough happened there because somebody wrote it. And not just one person, but several people wrote it, which means after that they did remember. They might have forgotten before then, about the loaves and about all that stuff. But they remembered. They remembered that time. And they weren't afraid to include it, even with their failures and embarrassment, so that we as a church today could remember. In this time of craziness and Christmas and all these things going on, God is calling us to actively turn our urgency back to the right things. Instead of being urgent about all these circumstances and situations, being urgent about our callings, being urgent about those things that he has tasked 
us to do and to be and actively staying in that place of peace and rest. Because rest is not an inactive rest of I'm going to kick my feet up in the boat and just, you know, Jesus take the wheel and I'm just going to be along for the ride for the rest of it. But it's the kind of rest that Jesus had in the boat to say, oh, I know this is going on, but it doesn't have my attention. I'm going to sleep and I'm going to remember what the Lord has done before and what the Lord can do again. The disciples who had just received that commissioning earlier in the chapter, they didn't receive commissioning and authority so that they would never experience wind and waves. Sometimes we think that like, okay, you know, yeah, I remember that last time when Jesus was in the boat and that thing happened and he calmed the storm. But, you know, we're much further along in our walk now and we've been uh, commissioned and we've been going out two by two and we've been seeing, you know, miracles and things. And so we're beyond that. The wind doesn't happen to us. But it does. Instead, what he gave them and what they needed to actually receive and let into their heart and activate is that he had overcome the wind and the waves and could do it time and time and time again. If there was wind and waves, every time they crossed that sea, he could speak to it and calm it. And that's what he wanted them to know and that's what he wanted them to remember. That on the other side of that shore, there was a divine appointment. And my question that I want you to ask God today is, what is on the other side of your shore? What is that divine appointment that's waiting for you that this thing, these circumstances, this thing from the enemy, whatever it is, keeps trying to get your attention and your urgency off of? The really interesting thing is that in the very next section, it says, they landed in Genesaret, okay? But that's not where they were supposed to be going. At least that's not where Jesus said to go across and go to. So it doesn't say, but I wonder if because of all their struggling, they got off course. Because I know that's happened to me. But the beautiful thing is what we see when it says they landed there is that Jesus did miracles. Jesus did miracles regardless. And I think that it has something to do with them remembering the last thing that he told them before he told them, get in the boat and go across. So before he tells them, get in the boat, go across to Bethsaida, he tells them at the end of the fishes and loaves, go ahead and go around and gather up all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. And so even if they were totally blown off course, the last words in their head before all that happened was, nothing is wasted. God doesn't waste a thing. So if you are here and you're feeling like I have struggled with urgency in an area that I'm not supposed to be fixated on or worrying about or I've wasted time or I've gotten off course, God wants to encourage you with that nothing is wasted. I want you to hear from the Lord this morning and just kind of close your eyes and do a self-reflection. What is your urgency about in this season? Do you need God to come in and do a little tweaking on where your urgency is? How can you put that circumstance or that problem back on the shelf? 
back in God's hands and then take your calling back down off the shelf. What would that look like for you? If you'll go ahead and stand, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Franklin to come up and speak the blessing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your patience with us, for reminding us over and over and over again of all that you've done, of all that you're going to do, and of your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is wasted. And thank you, God, that in our fear and in our struggling, that you stop and you meet us there. Thank you, Lord, for your words of encouragement. Of don't be afraid. I'm here. Help us to receive those words even before we see the circumstances change. And we just thank you so much for your great, great faithfulness. Lord, help us to partner with you to be urgent about your business, and to have a peace that passes understanding that is not like the world gives. And Lord, may every trouble, may every worry, may every fear be an opportunity to remember the miraculous things you've done and to step into joy. Lord, thank you for those opportunities to step into joy. And God, you know what this week and what this day is going to hold for us, Lord. And you have already overcome it all. So, Lord, I just pray that you stir up that hope in us. Stir up that courage in us. Stir up that unearthly kind of joy. And may you get all the glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.